Well, hello and welcome to the BC Messenger Podcast, Real Science, Real Bible, Real History, and Real World. Uh, my name is Steve Hall. I'm here with my wife, Jennifer, and it is January 2023. Happy New Year to you. Yes, greetings to our friends here at the beginning of a brand new year, 2023. Yes. A brand new year holds so much potential, doesn't it? Uh, 365 days in this new year, 52 weeks, 12 months. And that means, Jennifer, 12 episodes of the BC Messenger. Some of our plans for the podcast this year include some pretty big topics uh, that we're going to be discussing as we hit on some, some major themes, such as the age of the earth and radiocarbon dating. We're going to be sharing more about what we mentioned last time, uh, the manna discovery in 2023. Would you like to know what manna looked like? Would you like to know what it tasted like? Tasted like? Would you like to touch it? Well, you may be wondering, what are these people talking about? Stay tuned, because we are going to be talking about manna in the coming year. We're going to jump right into it here today. We have a lot to get through, and our monthly roundup... We this, always have a lot to get through. We do. We, I, I think we should probably say that every time. That's our monthly theme. We have a lot to get through. <laughs> we should call this the A Lot to Get Through podcast. Right. Maybe. We're always trying to condense it and squeeze it down, but we we have a lot to talk about yes, and variety of, of topics here that we think are of interest and pertain to our lives in various ways. So yes, we do. here's what we've got this month uh, for today's podcast. We are first going to start out talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. Then we will be going into um, some things with the Truth in Time ministry. Aging 101, coming right up after that with our lesson two in this new feature. And we have today our very first special guest on the podcast and a quick testimonial from one of our vitamin customers and then closing out with Helen's view, sharing about some of the work that is done behind the scenes to support the research. Yes. Well, we all know and are very familiar with the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. After the Israelites left Egypt, they camped in the desert. They became trapped against a large body of water as Pharaoh and his army uh, chased them, pursued them. Then God, of course, miraculously saved his people by making a path through the waters, a path right through the Red Sea. Now, where did this take place? Of course, that's been a question for a very long time. The location must meet several real-world specifications. Of course, we're trying to find the Bible, the, the accounts in the Scripture, in real-world history. A body of water is what we're looking for, a geographical location that matched the biblical account, suitable for drowning an entire army, and able to be crossed on foot by millions of people in one night. Also, we would expect to find a campsite at this location featuring the type of pottery that we discussed last month on our podcast. Um, the actual location of this event, where God told his people to, quote, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, is both surprising and amazing. And this is the hand of God. You know, we, we find out that whenever God works, and uh, it's always in ways we don't expect, 
and we can get certain ideals, certain uh, interpretations in our mind from our Sunday school lessons and classes uh, over the years that may not be exactly correct when we begin to actually find these things in the real world and discover how they took place, where they took place. So we're going to talk about that here. Okay. The great news is that the site of the crossing of the Red Sea is in fact now known. And we're very blessed in that. Very fortunate today with the modern work that's been done in archaeology and then in biblical chronology, especially here at the Biblical Chronologist, uh, we get the dates right. And it's amazing what flows out of that. Last month, we talked about the pottery in the wilderness and the right type of pottery uh, has been identified at the corrected date of the Exodus, which is 2450 BC. Our listeners know that we have the discovery of the missing millennium here at the Biblical Chronologist, which has been worked on for the past number of decades here. And so the corrected date for the Exodus is 2450 BC. And then there in the wilderness in the Sinai Peninsula, we have the pottery that was discovered some decades ago and was recorded and identified, which is exactly the pottery of the Israelites coming out of Egypt mixed with some Egyptian pottery. So we have now, I think Steve mentioned this on our last podcast, we have this trail of sorts going through the wilderness. And so the amazing thing is that if you follow that trail, uh, look at these sites that were identified, and then look at the biblical account, it matches very closely, and it leads you directly to where the crossing of the Red Sea took place. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they first camped at Succoth, which means booths in the wilderness. Then they camped at a site the Bible calls Etham, which was on the very edge of the wilderness, getting ready to go into the promised land. Then God turned them back around and sent them back towards Egypt. And they camped at their third site, which the Bible calls Pi-Hahiroth. Pi-Hahiroth was located in front of the crossing of the Red Sea. So these sites of pottery that have been identified match up very closely with what the Bible is describing. And one of them is in front of a body of water. If you look in the show notes of today's podcast, you can find the map showing exactly where all of this took place. And it is amazing to see God's works in the real world. We'll talk a little more in a minute about this body of water and the pottery shards that were found and the further confirmation that this is indeed the site of the crossing of the Red Sea. But I'll just put a note in, you know, as I was researching for this episode and learning about other people's theories about the crossing of the Red Sea, pottery is never talked about because at the traditional dates, there isn't any pottery ever been found. And they are very questionable because what they want to say is, we can't really know for sure because the landforms could have changed. But 
we know that water basins and sea basins don't typically change over thousands of years. They could become a little shallower, but the sea itself is not going to be moved around or obliterated. And when we get the dates correct, we in fact do find a real world body of water that very closely matches the biblical description. So what is the body of water? I mean, we have pottery found in front of this body of water, right on the same track as they came out of Egypt. So what is the name of the body of water? Because it's still there today. We were just looking at it on Google Earth. Google Earth. Yep. Well, it's a lake. It's a lake that is still there today that you can look up called Lake Bardawil. Um, lake Bardawil is right there outside of Egypt. Now, at this point, you're probably wondering, Lake Bardawil, I thought we were talking about the Red Sea. Don't we know where the Red Sea is? I can look on a map and see that. Well, it's important to realize that the biblical translation there of Red Sea is coming from a literal Hebrew word, Yom Suf, which means Sea of Reeds. Right. And here is a quote from conservative scholar Kenneth A. Kitchen, who explains in his Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia of the Bible, the Yom Suf would not be the Red Sea of today. The Hebrew term corresponds to an Egyptian word, which means papyrus, and should here be rendered sea of reeds. So right there, we're set free from it having to be the same Red Sea that we have on our maps today and that we're familiar with. And that opens up possibilities for bodies of water throughout the, the region there. So yes, Lake Bardawil. This is a miles wide lake. And the area where the pottery shards were found, the grouping that would correspond to what the Bible t calls the encampment at Pihiroth is in front of a sub-lake coming off of Lake Bardawil, which in itself, although it's a sub-lake, it is big. I mean, right. it is miles wide. We were looking at it there on Google Earth as it is today, as far as the dimensions of it. And it's about as long across as it is to drive from our town to the next Midwestern town, which is, you know, a several minute right. drive away. That's how big the sub lake is. So it's still a vast, giant body of water. Right. And there's so much evidence pointing to this particular place. Another little tidbit here you can read more about is that the Bible describes it, that the children of Israel, when they were facing the body of water, that they were facing a place called Baal's of Foam. And what is that? Well, most believe that that is an idol. Of course, we all understand and we've heard of Baal in the Bible, the idol Baal. And there just happens to be right there at that location, a place, nobody knows exactly where this particular place is for sure, but that there is a very strong and good candidate for Beelzephone right there, right off of that portion of Lake Bardawil right. out it's on not, a peninsula. It's not right there as but it they was were facing standing there. It's a land formation. Off in the distance. Way across. And at one point, the scripture says they were facing it. At another point, it says they were opposite from it. Right. And, and they, what is it called today? It's called Cajun. Cajun. K-A-S-O. 
K-A-I-O-N. Today. It's like Casey Yes, but... and the landform is still there. Right. If you go on Google Earth and look at this. Which is really cool. Yes, go it on is. Google. I yes, mean, we it have is. this technology today. You can get on your, your computer in your living room and hover over any part of the world. And hover over that. Go go to Egypt, type in Lake Bardawil, and uh, you'll see the, that area there. And you will be looking at a satellite image right. of where God did this amazing miracle. Did you know the Bible says, I think most people may not know this about the story, that the Bible says that a strong wind blew all night that opened the path through this sea. Isn't that interesting? Yes, because I was just reading the whole account yesterday. God tells Moses, stretch out your arm, right? and I'm going to part the waters. Then later it says Moses stretched out his arm and a wind blew all all night. night. Right. So in Sunday school, we see pictures of Moses holding out his arm, and we think that the waters just stood up as tall right. walls on each side, and the Israelites plunged down into this deep seabed. But actually, the Bible says a wind blew all night. Yeah. Yeah. When we, when we actually look at the details... It opens up some pretty interesting things that we didn't think about before. Right. And again, what we're trying to show here is that this isn't just pie in the sky. I mean, God, of course, he can do anything. But, you know, this happened in his real world. And a wind blew all night through what really looks to be this portion of Lake Bardawil, opened up this massive body of water. And it had to to be a wide path. You know, we're talking about millions of people going across in a very short time. And that's a question that has to be answered when you look at other candidates for the crossing of the Red Sea. Well, how could they all have gotten across and gotten across in enough time? That's right. So, And um, again, in the book, Dr. Ardsmus shows, he he calculates how long it would have taken. He went through the, the math on this for... 2 million people or so in all their livestock, about a mile wide group of people to go through this lake a couple miles, and, and it's calculated perfectly. It shows how they could have done it just fine, got to the other side. Of course, then the Egyptians come down into this same body of water, and as the Bible says, the water comes back in and drowns this The entire army. army. Yep. The Bible says that the path opened up and that the water was like a wall to them on the right and on the left. Now, this is a three-mile-wide lake today. So approximately. approximately. So Dr. Ardsma in the book talks about if the path that was opened up was a mile wide to make room for millions of people to get across fairly quickly, uh, you would have had a mile of water on one side and a mile on the other. Uh, not necessarily standing up, straight, you know, like suspending the laws of physics um, and making a tall wall of water, which you would then have to ask the question, why would Pharaoh and his men have gone down into such a thing? But no, more like a broad path opened up with a sea protecting them on one side and on the other. And in God's time, the waters came back in. And the army wasn't able to move. It says their wheels there. Yeah, they started to get weighted down. The text describes it. And then uh, they were just inundated. And from there, the Israelites head south down into the wilderness into the Sinai Peninsula. And let's let's remind ourselves again that 
we've gone through this very quickly, and we're always encouraging you to go read up on it, read more. But this can only be found if the dates are right. If we get the dates right, we find pottery. The pottery is the evidence that gives us the locations that we find these places mentioned in the Bible. There happen to be three very large groups that look just like what the Bible describes in this account. Along an ancient roadway coming out of Egypt. You know, when Pharaoh set them free, um, it's very likely they would have traveled. They weren't organized. They didn't know they were going. They didn't have their supplies ready. They didn't have their bread made. You know, so where are they going to go? They went out on the road. And that's exactly where these encampments are. And uh, Succoth, and then Etham, and then Circle, and then happens to be one right there at this body of water. Like you said, there aren't that many in the Sinai Peninsula, the desert. And perfect location describing as the Bible says, as the Bible describes, showing how that this could be that body of water facing Baal's phone. And it's just, again, can only be found if the dates are right, if we get the right chronology. Yes. If you want more information on it, we do have a video that I put together, um, uh, an article that I wrote and a video we made, and you can look that up or you can go to the show notes on the podcast. On the Right Road is what it's called, The Route of the Exodus and the Red Sea Crossing. Truth in Time is our speaking arm of the biblical chronologist and our family. We like to go out whenever God gives us opportunities to take these messages out. Um, We are now scheduling meetings for the new year, for 2023, and we would love to come and present the work of the biblical chronologist along with our family singing and playing. Jennifer plays the harp. Our family, our children play some different instruments. We sing together and uh, we can do concerts. We would love to come and minister in your church or your event or your group. And our desire really is to be a blessing through music, to strengthen the faith of Christians everywhere. And um, as we seek to demonstrate the reality of God's work in history. And if you know of an opportunity, maybe you could talk to your pastor about it. Um, we have some postcards we're going to be mailing out to some churches. We have some Yeah, that's cards. a great that's a great point. Yeah. We'd love to send you um, some of these postcards talking about our ministry yeah. and then you could present that to your pastor or a group leader and get us scheduled in for 2023. That's right. We and have a sound system and yes. we will travel. And that's we right. have a message and we have music and we want to come to your church or event. That's right. And look us up if you would like more information, truthintime.org, truthintime.org. Now, I don't know if I'm actually supposed to talk about this or not on the podcast yet, but I'm jumping in here with this because I just have to. We were just talking about what if uh, you could get on Google Earth and and look at Lake Bartowill, but here on the Truth in Time segment, I just have to say this. Uh, What if you could stand at the edge of Lake Bartowill and see with your own eyes what the Israelites were looking at. One thing that we have in our future sites for the Truth in Time ministry is possible tours to Israel. We would love to go over there and take groups of you who are interested to visit these sites that have been identified as a result of the missing millennium discovery. We're talking Mount Sinai and many other uh, sites of the encampments in the wilderness and Jericho and I, it would be thrilling. So I'm just putting that out there as a little 
teaser or something for you to think about and contemplate if you'd be interested in going on such a tour with our Truth in Time ministry. Well, let's move on ahead here. Aging 101, this is our second. Second. Less, this is lesson two. Now, let's see if our listeners can recall what was lesson one. Think for just a minute. Lesson one. Aging is not a blank. It is a blank. <laughs> okay, lesson one. Aging is not a natural process. Rather, it is a disease. That's it's what we talked disease. about last month. Right. So following up on this concept, we're talking about some data, just some simple data that is very familiar to us in our everyday life. Life expectancies today for people born in the U.S., that's what's being shown on the graph there, which you can find easily in the show notes. What is life expectancy? Well, not surprisingly, it's how long someone can reasonably be expected to live based upon real world data. And we have a lot of data on this question, so we can answer that pretty well when it comes to the current landscape when it comes to aging. What is life expectancy today for U.S. females and U.S. males? Uh, For U.S. females, life expectancy today is 81 years of age. And for U.S. males, it is 76 years right. of age. These are average, average. lifespans, I some guess. Some will you fall would call above, them. some will fall below that line. But we can probably all agree that it, that really isn't very much time. No, it really isn't. Yeah. Um, and as life goes on, it seems like less and less and less time uh, yeah. to be able to fulfill the calling that you have in life. And when we compare that data with what is recorded biblically in Genesis, we can have the simple takeaway that life expectancies today are exceedingly short compared to a graph of the lifespans of people living back in the first few thousand years recorded there in scripture. So wrapping up lesson two, with the disease of aging as it is currently taken hold on the entire population and has for thousands and thousands of years, this is what we have. This is where we are. Right. And and we can graph it out and we can know with pretty good certainty that if we live and die of aging disease, this is about how much time we will have. As we move into our next segment, in light of the graph we just looked at there, our special guest today is our son, our oldest son, Joshua, has joined us yeah. here for the podcast. Glad to have you, Josh. Super excited to have him. Good to be here. And we are going to be talking to him about a topic that relates in uh, specifically with the aging work that's being done here. And in fact, Joshua just completed his undergraduate degree He's from a graduate. Bob Jones University. He was December, a December graduate. Isn't that just, that just brings the graduation. Oh, that's beautiful. You got to wait until May to hear this officially, but. He doesn't walk until. Thank you very much. We haven't had very much fanfare about the, about the graduation yet, but he is in fact now the um, official holder of a bachelor's degree. Moving on for master's studies starting here in the new year. Yes. So very, very proud of him. And. 
uh, just wrote a paper for his un, one of his undergraduate classes right before the end of the semester, and we wanted to talk to him about that on the podcast. Uh, the title of the paper is Christians and the Coming Demographic Winter. Right. So, Josh, we're going to jump right into this and just ask you the first question. Of course, Christians in the coming demographic winter. We need to uh, maybe define our terms here first thing. So what is a demographic winter? What, what are we talking about? Uh, yeah, so the term demographic winter, to put it the mo- in the most simple fashion, a demographic winter is when the overall population in a given area starts to decline. And so population decline can happen in many ways. Um, you could have a war and everybody could die and... And you could kill off your population that way, or you could have a much slower decline that could happen more naturally. And what we're worried about um, just across really the world today is that birth rates are underperforming. So more people are dying than are being born um, just in general in right. certain areas. So, so globally, that's not true yet, but in certain areas such as South Korea, for instance, more people are dying than are being born um, is the short story there. So right now, um, South Korea is at, I'm just using South Korea as an example, they are, they have a population of of about 50 million people. And by the end of this century, that is um, projected to drop to 28 million people. So that's a, that's a population that's looking to be cut in half um, by the end of this century. So that's just, that's an example. That's really the, that's the biggest one, but you have multiple countries around the planet that are looking at experiencing similar things. So anyway, to answer your question, a a demographic winter is when death rates outperform birth rates and a given country's population starts to decline. Right. So this is opposite from what we've been taught and told for so many years. Yes. So... The overriding narrative has been that overpopulation is really the big concern. And there's some history here. There was a book written in the 1960s um, called The Population Bomb, which predicted that global famines and societal chaos and just general mayhem would result from um, a gross overpopulation across the world. Right. Um, they This book said that um, there would just be no way to st- no no way to feed everyone and that people would would begin to starve to death. The book really caught on with the general public and it and um, the ideas just really kind of permeated the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, even today, um, amongst like celebrities and and in pop culture, that's still kind of the ruling narrative is that as we move forward, um, overpopulation is really going to be an issue. Right, um, and that people are just really a problem and we have too many of them right that's I mean, you yeah right. i mean i in this paper i talked about um you know you have prince harry and <clears throat> Meghan markle saying that that they're not going to have any more than two children because they're concerned about overpopulation and you know, even you have people like david attenborough who talks about overpopulation so anyway it's definitely a still a mainstream theory um and there i don't know if there's a whole lot of science behind it i don't think that there really is at all but it's just kind of the accepted behind fact. the overpopulation behind the overpopulation myth. Theory. Yeah. Right. Well, I know um, Dr. Ardsma has not contributed to any research on this front. 
here um, as far as the possible coming demographic winter. He hasn't been able to delve into looking at any numbers himself. So this is just our you know, reading that we've done and the paper that you wrote that we wanted to present here, uh, not necessarily official research of the biblical chronologist, but it is very interesting to talk about and look at. And, you know, just birth rates alone do not support the fact uh, that our population is going to hold steady. Your, your paper talks about the birth rates. Basically, to keep the population steady from one generation to the next, uh, the average woman has to have at least 2.1 children. So that's that's just basic math, right? So for every couple to replace themselves, you need to have 2.1 children. Right now in the U.S., our birth rate is at 1.8, so that's 0.3 below just the replacement rate, and then China's worse at 1.5, Russia and the U.K. are both at 1.6. So just the basic math says that if people continue to die at the same rate that they are, that these four major nations that I have listed here, the U.S., China, Russia, and the U.K., will their populations will begin to decline within the next generation or so. And I think this is probably new news to many people because we have been fed the, the line for so long, and the media has been repeating this for so long, that we have an overpopulation crisis. I would imagine many people would be hearing these kind of things and thinking, I've not heard that before. And yet we do have some in the mainstream who are saying that there is a problem on the other side of this thing. Definitely your paper points out some very respected voices who have wanted to weigh in on the other side, that this is really a serious risk of not having enough people. So you have Prince Harry and... David Attenborough on one side, and then you have Jordan Peterson and Elon Musk on the other side. So, right. you know... We were sounding an alarm right? that we have a depopulation crisis. Yes, here I have Jordan Peterson saying that the biggest problem the biggest problem in 50 years is, will be that there's just not enough people. Um, Elon Musk has said that a collapsing birth rate is the biggest danger civilization faces by far. Right. Um, so obviously these guys are worried about it, and people can look more into that if they're curious but so that takes us into the second question what problems would a future population decline present for the world what are these guys talking about why why is this a problem right it's kind of like well if we just don't have as many people i mean is that really a big deal hey more space you know more for me right (laughs) right to a certain extent that's true but when you're talking about a country like south korea whose population is getting cut in half over the next generation that's that we're talking about more than just you know the population decreasing by a couple percentage points Um, so if you lose half the people in your nation there's going to be major societal impacts from that and right um, i mean you can talk about running the infrastructure you can talk about well i think a good example is that right now many people listening to this probably have have experienced some effects of the of what's being called the sandsdemic which is right. a, which is an effect from COVID, but it seems that every business you come across now is is hiring, and and everybody that you talk to says that they just can't find enough people to hire, and and that's not really a result of of a demographic winter yet. But I think it's a good example right. that that society really struggles when it can't find the people that it needs to fill the spots that need to be filled. So a demographic winter would be a sandemic times 
a thousand, right? If, you, if 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 you're South Korea and you lose half, literally half of your population, that's not something a country can really right recover from. And there's food not enough service and, and all of that. Then it really becomes an issue. And Health, the military, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. Healthcare and, and education and all feeding everybody, farmers. You know, you got to have enough people to do all of these things right. and we are very interconnected and dependent on each other when it comes to population when i first started reading about some of this is that you have to realize that population problems are the kind of problems where the cause happens at one time and the result of that cause the effect of that cause um, manifests itself like 50 years down the road and so right. that's why you haven't heard it talked about too much up to this point because we haven't seen i read those numbers earlier that you know it takes 2.1 people um, per, per woman to keep a population steady and the birth rates in the u.s and in the uk and, and other places are are below that but you, but we haven't seen a population decline yet because that takes takes time at least a generation right to start to manifest itself right right and so and it's it's without a good fix it's not going to be resolved quickly either. Yeah, so that kind of leads me to another question, which is what solutions are on the table, you know, uh, nationally, globally, for the coming demographic winter, the potential for that, and all that that would mean for our kids, our grandkids. What can be done? You know, these guys like Elon Musk and Jordan Peterson, what are they saying that needs to happen? I would say there's two answers to that question. And the first one is a negative answer. And it's that there's really nothing that really can be done at this point. We're already set in the course. So the fact that the birth rate in the U.S. is is already at 1.8 means that even if we were today to magically bring that back up to 2.1, we would still hit a population decline over the next decade. So there's really nothing that that, that you can do I, I did see this. Um, I don't know if this is in your paper. Peter Zihan makes some persuasive arguments. Peter Zihan is a geopoliticist. He's saying nothing can now be done to prevent the populations of many nations going into rapid decline more abruptly than most lay people imagine and most experts predict. So like you said, that's, that's right. kind of and a I, big I mean, picture. And I think that Christians would say that everybody ought to ought to build a strong family and encourage as many people as you know to do that. And that's a, that's a good strategy for um, every individual. But on a national scale, there's really nothing that can be done at the m- present moment to prevent a population decline. Now, how far that decline goes is probably depends on what we all do as individuals. Right. Um, now, but, yeah, go ahead. How does this tie into what we're doing here with the biblical chronologist and arts and research and publishing. As usual, we have a different take on this. And in light of that quote I read a minute ago, and Joshua in his paper delves into this quite a bit towards the conclusion, and that is that here at the Biblical Chronologist, we do not believe it is the case that nothing can now be done. Right. So so there actually is one way that you could potentially entirely halt a population decline um, because population decline happens as people get older and they die 
off. And so you have, you have the older population dying off at a faster rate than the babies are being born. So the only way in which you could actually completely halt a population decline would be to stop the people dying off on the old age side of the equation, which does dovetail quite nicely with um, anti-aging research. <laughs> yes, it does. So if we could, you know, find the cause and cure for aging, then we could head off a very serious problem called a demographic winner. Yes. I th- I'm sure you've talked about this, but there's, there's a lot of aging research going on today, whether from Alphabet or from Aubrey de Grey or whatever. Um, but of course, on this podcast, it's all about Dr. Gerald Ardsman's research, and I know you've talked about that extensively. Right. Um, and things like anti-aging vitamins um, are very important personally for everybody's personal individual health. But I think it's important for your listeners to understand that um, that the effects of those vitamins um, go far beyond just themselves, and they have potential really global impacts and influences. So Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, you think about someone who is close to the life expectancy that we talked about there in our segment just a few minutes ago, the average life expectancy. Um, and you think about average, the average life expectancy being increased greatly, what effect that could have on our society as a whole. I mean, because older folks, the older we get, the more of a consumer we become right now because we lose the ability to contribute to society in the workforce. And if that could change nationally uh, for countries like the ones you mentioned there with the declining birth rates, keep those people in the workforce, keep them being producers. And that's really what we all want. Nobody wants to become a consumer. Uh, who loses, you know, everything that you've worked for, but instead continue to produce. And right. what a difference that could make on the landscape right. of our world. And of course, Dr. Arzma has, many people don't know this yet, but this is why we have the podcast and why we're trying to get word out. Dr. Arzma has the most complete theory of aging of anyone that out there. That has ever been developed. And most he's, complete, best attested theory. Right, and he's only found it because he has taken Genesis in the Bible, seriously, the only window we have of people living these kinds of ages, this kind of data, he's taken it seriously and has discovered these vitamins that the human body needs. So it's very important. Yeah, I mean, I would just reiterate that it, it is a very, very significant discovery. And and again, like like we just talked about, it's important for, pe- for people to understand that, that a discovery like this has more than just implications for your own personal health. It has implications for the state of the future world. And in, it might be a solution in, in staving off things like demographic winters. Definitely. Very interesting topic. Yeah. For your kids, for your grandkids' future, yeah. we need to take these things seriously. Joshua? Good discussion. Thank Appreciate you Appreciate you being, uh, being our very first guest. I'm Something. honored. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, first guest on our podcast, and we do appreciate you coming and doing this. Thank you very yes. much. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a testimonial again this month. Michael, who is 46 years of age, Michael began supplementing the anti-aging vitamins in April of 2021, and he sent the following note on December the 2nd. Michael says, quote, I don't necessarily notice anything different, but with the other holistic items that I use, I consider it, talking about the anti-aging vitamins, uh, to be proactive, and most people think I am 10 or 15 years younger. 
So that's Michael's testimony there, 46 years of age. Yes, and we thank him for that. And Michael was a college friend of ours, so we have to shout out yes. and say, hey, Michael, hey, Michael. if you're listening. <laughs> It'd be good to see <laughs> you Happy again. New Year to you. <laughs> okay. And now moving into Helen's view and listening to what she has to share, which is always a very interesting glimpse behind the scenes. Last time we were together, I mentioned that I would tell more about Gerald's education for this issue specifically his bachelor's degree, but I've decided to share something more current. One of the things that I spend most of my time doing is managing Mulberry Lane Farm. Mulberry Lane Farm is a daughter company of Ardsma Research and Publishing. Mulberry Lane Farm is what we call the tent-making part of our ministry. The term tent-making is a metaphorical term used to refer to Christians who engage in a money-making profession in order to support their ministry. The extra-biblical term comes from the example that the Apostle Paul set. He made tents in order to support himself so he could have the income he needed to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Rather than solicit donations to support our ministry, as many other ministries do, we follow the tent-making model. What Gerald and I earn from sales on Mulberry Lane Farm goes towards supporting the ongoing biblical research, book writing, advertising our products, and pays ourselves and our staff. So what is Mulberry Lane Farm? Well, thanks for asking. It started out 27 years ago as our organic mini farm on Mulberry Street in Loda, but then it grew. Today we have a website called www.mulberrylanefarm.com where we sell our organic grains to customers all across the United States. Pallet loads of products come in on transport trucks and we repackage the products in smaller sizes for retail customers. My work involves everything from ordering in pallet loads of grains to quality control on customers' packages that go out. I have one part-time employee that works three to four days a week, and on the days he comes in to work in the shipping room, we work together, unloading pallets and loading pallets, bagging and labeling products, and preparing orders to ship out. And other necessary stuff like cleaning bathrooms and sweeping and washing floors and emptying trash. When I'm not in the shipping room, I'm doing office work for Mulberry Lane Farm. This involves accounting, running payroll, preparing ads, researching new products, price analysis, providing customer service. We apply the old adage, the customer is always right, even when they're wrong. Printing orders, paying bills, keeping track of incoming and outgoing inventory, and everything else in between. We are an approved USDA organic facility, and once a year we have inspections to keep our license active. Yes, this involves plenty of paperwork. Gerald is the behind-the-scenes brains of Mulberry Lane Farm, and Mulberry Lane Farm would not exist if he wasn't a part of it. He does all the computer programming that we use on a daily basis, is my chief problem-solver counselor, the repairman, and many other jobs. We are a unique team, which makes all this possible. I enjoy operating Mulberry Lane Farm. It is a constant, ever-changing challenge, but it is very rewarding to see workflows operating well and happy customers. Nothing comes without God's blessing, and we are so grateful. He plays his part, and we play ours, which is hard, slogging, physical work, perseverance, and plenty of blood, sweat, and tears. Nothing comes without sacrifice. 
I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if it weren't for Dr. Arzma's anti-aging vitamins, I would be sitting on the porch in my rocking chair, talking of nothing but the bygone years and having several naps per day. The vitamins have changed my life and have given me back the energy I had as an 18-year-old. There are not enough words to express my gratitude for my new life. So what makes me bounce out of bed every morning? Another day bagging, sealing, and labeling grains in the shipping room? Nope. It is knowing that the work I do for Mulberry Lane Farm is for a higher purpose, that of serving my husband, our ministry, and our God, praying that our team will make a difference for the kingdom. My life has a why for every action. It is meaningful, rewarding, and purposeful. It doesn't get any better than this. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Well, if you're enjoying this podcast, and we do hope that you are, we now have an easy way for you to invite others to listen along with you. We have little cards that we've made up, little business cards, basically, that are BC Messenger cards that you can hand to people. Um, We like to give them out when we go out, leave them on a table or something for eating somewhere. We put them in our Christmas cards, I will say. We just sent that right out to all of our friends and family. Yes. Tells folks, you know, real science, real Bible, real history, real world. That's right. And and shows them easily where they can come and sign up and and listen in. So if you'll email us, um, we will send you just you have to email us of course uh your address and uh, we can get a group of them in the mail to you and we would love to send that to you in the mail that you can give out to people here's the email address are you ready for this customer dot care at biblical chronologist dot org that's an email okay we'll put it in the show notes yes customer dot care at biblicalchronologist.org. Hey, here at the very end, I just want to give a shout out because we had 10 winners last month in the December podcast. We did something fun on our email. Most of our listeners come in from our email list. And so buried in the email, we put a fun little giveaway. And the first 10 people who replied to the email received a surprise package in the mail from the BC Messenger. So I want to give a quick shout out to these 10 people who were our winners. It was Becky, Donna, Helen from Vermont, Naomi, Jackie, Joel from Idaho. I'll just throw that in there for a couple of these. Michael, Lois, Donna, and Ruth. Yes. Well, it's been fun to be with you again. And here at the end, we're going to close this down. We just want to wish you a happy new year. And may the Lord just bless you and your family in this 2023 that we have ahead of us. Have a great year. Have a great year. See you next month.